This morning's reading is from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting at verse 22 to 2, verse 3. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thank you, Paul. It is great to be with you today. Uh, it's a very significant day, isn't it? I found myself, uh, even though I'm not out here each week, at different points just starting to tear up as you think about the farewells and uh, uh, people speaking, and, and that's certainly appropriate for a day like today, not just with Trinity Grove, but uh, Stephanie, Ruth, and the Pells, and you know, there is a lot. Uh, happening today as we gather and yet what we're about to do now is uh, bread and butter you know like really we're just continuing on in God's word in 1 Peter and I make no apology for that because that's so foundational to the way in which we live together this is this is what we do as we gather together as God's people and you'll find an outline in the leaflet there if you want to follow on and it is uh, as always God's word is is apt you know, it's appropriate for what we're doing. So let's pray that, that God will speak to us in what is a, a, a terrific day as we commission and send and as we stay and that God will speak to our minds and hearts and we'll know how to keep going in the way in which he's called us to go. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your extraordinary grace towards us in the Lord Jesus and we pray that as we reflect on this, your word uh, today, you'll speak clearly to us and that will be strengthened and encouraged, uh, edified as we reflect on both our relationship with you and our relationship with one another. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last year I had the chance to catch up with uh, three of the guys I went through law school with, uh, which was now uh, a number of decades ago. So around 35 or 40 years ago I went, went through law school with these guys. And I hadn't caught up with any of them for quite some time. Uh, they continue on in uh, practising law and are quite senior in the profession in different ways. Uh, I, on the other hand, have sort of diverted in a slightly different route. And uh, they would not probably, any of them, count themselves as believers, uh, whereas I am. I, I don't think, as we sat around the table, that they viewed me as being uh, successful. I don't think that that was the way they perceived uh, the choices I'd made in life. I think they were curious about what I'd done. And don't get me wrong, I think they actually do admire me as well uh, in, in their own way. Uh, they've got no doubt about my sincerity or my convictions. But I didn't get the impression they wanted to swap. <laughs> that, that wasn't the sort of what was communicated. And in fact, if I'd scratched uh, the surface and we talked about our convictions, the things that drive us forward in life, 
they would have been profoundly different and they showed in different ways. A different view about the future, not just in this world but beyond. I have fairly clear beyond convictions. I don't think that they do. Uh, different views about the keys to life now and what actually shapes life and gives joy and fulfilment and substance uh, to our existence. I think they would see the choices I've made as a trashing of lifestyle options. They would see Christianity as a religious system that has a, a number of restrictive rules that you maintain in order that you might secure your place in the stadium in heaven with God. You know, they would see it in that sort of way. And so what you do is you have a life of deprivation now for some possible payback in due course. That's the way they would see it framed. Uh, when we turn to 1 Peter, and you would have seen this the last couple of weeks if you've been here, some of that show, seems to show itself in these early, early verses of this first chapter. Uh, verse 1, uh, we're described as uh, those who are followers of Jesus as strangers in the world. Or well, verse 3, we have this living hope. There's a sense of the future uh, that's meant to draw us on and change the way we think about the now, the promises of God for beyond this world, uh, the ability to give flowers to the bush of life when you die, <laughs> that, that sense of the future that God has promised to us. And there do seem in this opening chapter to be rules as well. So if you look through verses 13 to 21 that Stephen looked at last week, a series of commands on how to live life now, self-control, uh, holiness. And in fact, there's a fear element here in terms of the discipline of the Lord that's spoken about. And yet I want to say to you that the, the whole motivation for the Christian life, uh, the whole nature of the calling into relationship with God, is not rules or it's not give up now to get then, that's not the way in which this is framed. The whole notion of being in relationship with God is privilege. Privilege. That's who we are if we're in a relationship with God. In fact, the language that dominates this opening chapter is family language. Uh, look with me at, say, verse 3 or verse 23. We're told there we're born again into God's family. We don't join a political party where we pay a subscription. We join a family by the generosity of God. God is our father. You see that in verse 2 or verse 3 or verse 17. God's not a judge or policeman that enforces rules. Father, that's the image. Uh, we are to love Jesus, verse 8, and that's because he loved us and died for us, verse 19. Our brother in Christ has done that for us. We're to live as obedient children, verse 14. Not obedient servants or slaves or employees, but children. We're to love brothers and sisters in Christ, right? verse 22. Not fellow club members, that's not who we are. We don't just respect or cooperate. That's not what we do, but love. Verse 2 of chapter 2, we're described as newborn babies, not subcontractors with jobs to do. Babies, part of this family. 
That's the way in which it's described. Now, I know that if we went around the room today, all of us would have different experiences of what it means to be part of a family. Uh, we have, when you say family to people, different things will spring to your mind. Uh, some of us have come from terrible or abusive families. Uh, others, warm and loving families. Uh, some families seem to give sort of unconditional love and sometimes it's performance-based. You get the love if you perform up to the standards that this family has. Families have different values. So what sort of family have we joined? What sort of family is this one that we belong to? The family of God. Let me just talk about some family dimensions that come out in this section from verse 22 through to chapter 2 verse 3. Just explore that with you for a few moments. So on the outline, the first one is it talks about the, uh, the way you get into the family. How does anyone get into this family? How does anyone become a child? Verse 23, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And then you get the, the following quote from Isaiah chapter 40. We get into this uh, new birth, this relationship with God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've already spotted that back in verse 3 of chapter 1. But the way in which you hear about this gospel, this news about Jesus and this life-giving resurrection is through the word of God, through the word of God. Now notice the contrast between those who believe this word of God and those who don't. Those who are in the family and those who aren't. Let me just read that quote from Isaiah 40. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Without trusting in the promises of God, the salvation that God's promised, his word, without knowing those realities, then this part of the Bible, as the Bible does generally, talks about living in short sight of futility, in stupidity, really, because you're living with blinkers on as if all, this is all there is. And God's word tells you that if this is all there is, then you will be like Mike's plant and your flowers will fall and you'll be dead in due course. Okay? That is the reality of living as if this is all there is. It's a, an ignorance or a foolishness. Uh, earlier in the chapter, it talks about evil desires or an empty way of life. Now, I, I told you about the friends I caught up with, uh, mates from law school. They are extraordinarily successful, really, in terms of what they've achieved, how they've risen through the ranks, and they are very good at their jobs. And it would be tempting, I think, for me, or for anyone who actually catches up with them, uh, to think they're the haves. They're extraordinarily successful. And that in many ways I'm the have-not in the equation. But the reality is they have missed out on life itself. They are living for futility. They are living without hope, without security, because they don't trust the word of the Lord. They're like flowers or grass in the field. 
and the wind will blow over them and that's it, if that's all they're living for. Why do we plant a church uh, in Golden Grove? A number of people, when I've talked to them, not, not here in this community, but outside, when they've heard we're planting a church in Golden Grove, have said, why are you planting a church there? There are other good churches there. As if maybe we didn't realise that. Um, there are other good churches in Golden Grove who are convinced about the gospel. So why are we planting a church in Golden Grove when there are other good churches there? It's a fair question, actually. Here's the reason. Because when you look at any census of the people in that area, 95% plus do not know a relationship with God through his living and abiding word through the gospel. 95% of the population in that area do not have life. They are living in futility and hopelessness. That is the reality. It's not that there aren't other good churches there. It's just that the overwhelming majority of the population need to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. We need more good churches there. That's why we commission people and send people. Because of that overarching need for people who have trusted in insubstantial things and who are ultimately totally empty of purpose to know a living relationship with the Lord why do we uh, send Steph again to Central Asia well, it's, a, it's a population in desperate need of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that's why we send why are the Pell's heading off to Victoria uh, to get further training at Ridley College well, so they can be better equipped to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are the people who aren't going to Golden Grove stay? It's for exactly the same reason. So that we might be on about the Lord Jesus Christ to the overwhelming number of Australians who do not know the Saviour's love. Is that not right? Of course it is. That's how you get into the family, through the great mercy and love of God expressed to us through the gospel. What then ha happens in this chapter is that the attention then moves to what I think is a, a key family value for the people of God. You pick up on it in verse 22, it's of course love. Now you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for the brothers. And uh, reading sisters, reading people of God. Uh, love one another deeply from the heart. Now we live in a nation that constantly talks about love. I mean, that's uh, so popular, right? Farmer wants a wife, right? What's it all about? Finding true love. My kitchen rules. What's it all about? Loving food, right? I mean, it's all, you know, it doesn't matter where you go. Listen to the radio. Every second song, love, love. Yeah, it was the Beatles song. All you need is love. Love, 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 love. That's all you need. Love, love, love. You know, it just is that repetitious drumbeat that you have if you live here in Australia, and I suspect most of the West, Western world. So here's the question. When this enunciates this quality of love uh, for God's people, is it any different? Or is it just a question of degree or, or, you know, what's going on? Can I say that for believers, love starts with redemption? That's the core of love. 
how we understand love. Uh, verse 3 of chapter 1 talks about the mercy of God. Uh, verse 4 speaks about the inheritance we have, uh, heaven with the family of God. Uh, verse 19 talks about being redeemed, uh, being chosen, and the precious blood of Jesus that captures us. The world talks about love, uh, but the main features of that love are, are attraction or spark or common interest. You know, it's a really desirable thing uh, to make us complete and to fill our lives. But when it comes to the Bible, and particularly here in 1 Peter chapter 1, this is not a cry to God uh, to make us complete and to make us full with his love. Do you understand the love that's being spoken about here? It reads like this. Lord, I am a total offence to you. Please forgive me. To understand that that is the character of God's love. It is so profoundly different because we have no claims on it, no rights to it. That's why it talks about this love uh, being operational among the people of God. So notice what it says, love one another deeply from the heart. What's deep heart love mean? The idea here with um, deeply from the heart is the idea of love at full stretch. Uh, love that's being uh, pulled to breaking point. It's that sort of idea that uh, love operates with here. It's when everything in you wants to pay back or to write somebody off or to distance yourself from someone or to hang on to bitterness in your heart because of what someone has done to you. It's loving in that situation. That's the context, actually, of, uh, of 1 Peter. Remember, we're talking about a church who are under enormous pressure, persecution, trouble. And it's, it's people of God in that sort of situation where you're, where you're really under the hammer, and that's when you're likely to find it hard to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, when you're feeling that way. And I suspect that's the same test when it comes to, to us. How do we love each other? when it's really hard to love each other and when people aren't acting in a loving way towards you, how do you love them then? How does the gospel express itself at that point? I was uh, talking to a woman who's in the Trinity Network uh, a while ago and she was in a situation where, uh, in a conversation with an older woman than her who was really quite abrupt and offensive, even insulting, and just found herself unable to sort of cope in that situation, so I extracted herself from the conversation. Now, let me say, the way our world works when that sort of thing happens, when you're offended by someone who's difficult, who you don't necessarily click with, it, what do you do? You step back, uh, you close off, you don't necessarily engage, you maybe just store up and get angry with. Now, the, the thing that I was so encouraged by was that this, uh, this woman who was younger than the older woman who'd offended her, uh, 
reflected on it, wrote to that woman, explained her concern and why she felt she'd been treated inappropriately and expressed it in a gentle and encouraging sort of way. Worked for reconciliation. And the other woman, to her credit, then wrote back apologising, thanking her for not just standing back and cutting her off and avoiding her, but actually engaging and trying to make that relationship work appropriately and properly under the hand of God. Do you understand that is Christian love? Well, we don't just avoid because it's tough or write people off because they don't treat us the way we want, but the love that we have received, we understand and work out in our relationships in a consistent manner. I caught up with a pastor uh, last week and he's experiencing some difficulties in his particular church sort of context. And I asked him how he felt. He said, I've been feeling really down, very angry. He said, in fact, I feel abused by this group of people in my congregation who falsely accuse me of things without knowing the full story and they should know better. That's the way he was feeling. So what does he do as a pastor? What he does is he finds the people in his congregation who are on his side, gathers them onto his side and tells them all about these nasty people and what they've done to him so we can have the innies and the outies. We can set up a divisional factional thing. You know, that'll really honour God, won't it? You know? It's so often the way things can happen in a church context, but so inconsistent with the love that's spoken of in this passage. See, for this pastor, here is his challenge. He has been loved by the Lord Jesus Christ without cause. Actually, it's not like that. He's been loved by the Lord Jesus Christ even though he was an offence and a stench in the very nostrils of God. And God has had mercy on him. And so for him to love, he needs to work out how he gives himself in sacrifice and teaching for these people who are an offence to him. That's the deep, stretched love. That's the heart love that's being spoken of in this passage. And friends... That's the case for each one of us as we work out our life together here at TNE, here at Trinity Grove. Because let me tell you, what happens when you plant a church is everyone is at full stretch. <laughs> People who go to Golden Grove, small group, doing everything. And I bet uh, things are going to get frayed at points. People are going to be frustrated because people don't do what they should be doing. And I'm working twice as hard as they are. Why don't they pull their bit, you know, like, and it'll be the same here at Golden Grove, because a whole lot of willing and keen and able people are going off to Golden Grove, and we've got to do more, you know, and at that point, we'll get grumpy with each other, because everyone's not working as hard as I am. That's the way it works, isn't it? So easy for it to work that way. That's why I think that the, the list of things, the checklist that's provided here in chapter 2, verse 1, are a negative checklist, It's not a positive, aspirational thing. It's the things you get rid of. 
See, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Because when you're at stretch, the danger is that you just dump on each other. See, it's, it doesn't give a whole positive list of things to do. It gives you a whole lot of risk areas to watch out for and get rid of. Here are the family values that are being spoken of. These are the behaviours we do not have in our family. Every family has um, uh, behavioural things that are no-nos, or every family should. You know, I remember when our kids were growing up, here was Sue's big family value, or one of them, uh, she said, people more important than stuff. So if something extraordinarily valuable got broken accidentally, wasn't a big deal. Never a big deal in our family. Huh? But if people destroyed relationships with inappropriate words or you know, put-downs or criticisms or lying, <laughs> that was big. Right? A family value. Stuff doesn't matter. People do. Here are the values. Rid yourselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. These things we don't have in our family. We need to be agreed on that and committed to it. And when those behaviours emerge, we say, no, nah, not, not, not in TNE, not in Trinity Grove. We don't do those things here. That's not the way we treat each other, the family values. What Peter then does is he goes on and talks about, uh, he speaks about the idea of how you get into the family, uh, the love that's meant to exhibit itself there, and then he, he, he talks a bit about the way in which you grow in the family of God, how you keep growing. Now today we send brothers and sisters to Golden Grove, and as Stephen has said, there's a cost, we'll miss each other, there's a sacrifice. What do we want for Trinity Grove? What, what do we want for Trinity Northeast? Friends, this is what we want. We want both to grow. And we do want both to grow in terms of numbers of people coming into the family of God and believing. But we also want growth in love and service of the Heavenly Father, the quality of our life together. Now, what's the divine strategy so that we keep growing in that way? Keep growing in, in how we love God and love each other. Notice what it says in verse 2 of chapter 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Uh, this week I got to babysit my 14-month-old granddaughter and uh, I gave her a bottle of milk. And it was almost as I tipped it up, it was gone, right? Just sucked straight down, you know, and into this child, right? She knows what's good for her. Uh, and she grabbed it all. Now, it talks here about newborn babies and pure spiritual milk. Are we talking about um, baby Christians here? You know, is that the sort of... And, and if you went to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul actually gets stuck into the church of Corinth because they're baby Christians who, who are on milk, but they should be on meat. So he criticises them at that point. Is it the same sort of idea? No, it, it's actually different. What he's saying here is that milk is critical for the growth of a family of God. That's the way in which he's using the analogy here. So the focus is on the quality and the, uh, 
unpolluted purity of the milk so that by it you can grow up to the fullness and maturity. It's not watered down, it doesn't have additives. It's that sort of idea. God's Word, friends, it's, it's not just uh, informational and tells us things about God. So as we gather and listen to the Word of God or you read it each day, you're not just acquiring new bits and pieces uh, about who God is and what he's like, although you are learning and growing in your knowledge of God. But God's Word, by the power of his Spirit, continues to transform believers, continues to help them grow more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Word of God, the Gospel, the Scriptures, that's why they're so essential and foundational for our life together. So let me uh, talk to you, Mike, and uh, Jen, as a partner in the Lord. Uh, Brother, you go off to lead a new congregation of God's people. And uh, I've been catching up with you recently. You look a tad busy. Uh, there seem to be lots of postcards to put in boxes and advertising to be done. You're connecting with lots of people. And there's a, st- a stack of stuff. There's an enormous amount that goes on. And uh, Household Sam's is probably a little stretched and frayed at the edges. And that'll continue to be the case. My brother, here's what you must do. You must faithfully keep yourself in the word of God. You must keep reading it and asking God to do his work in your heart. But also, because of the special responsibility you have in this congregation, you must spend time preparing God's word so that you might teach it faithfully to his people, both publicly and privately. Do not neglect the very means by which God has entrusted to you to feed his people. Okay? And you'll be tempted to do that because there'll be so many things to do. But you mustn't. Okay? It's the same for Stephen. Uh, brother, you know, the people are not going to be persuaded by Stephen George. Uh, they'll be persuaded by his word. Keep remembering it's the power of God's word that changes lives. Keep faithfully feeding the flock of God's people and modelling how that works so that they might themselves feed on his word and grow on his word. And friends, that is the word for all of us, isn't it? Treasure the fact that God's spoken to us. Keep being in the word, and I use that, that language deliberately. Keep allowing God to transform your heart by this gospel of love and mercy and grace. Allow that to keep shaping who you are so that by his word and by his spirit, he keeps forming you the way in which you are to be, the way in which he wants you to grow. Chapter 2, verse 3, finishes on this note. It says, uh, talks about feeding on God's word so you can grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now you have tasted that the Lord is good. Sue and I had a wonderful opportunity to share Chinese New Year uh, this week, this last week, 
uh, with a family that was celebrating the year of the monkey. Uh, I don't pretend to understand anything of what they're celebrating, except that I really enjoyed the food. Uh, I mean, it, was, it was just this extraordinary banquet. There was only about six of us around the table. There was enough food for 30 people. Plates loaded with all these different delicacies and flavours, and, uh, and the company was good too. Yeah, but uh, the, this food was quite, quite remarkable. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you count yourself a believer, it is because you have tasted that the Lord is good. Isn't that a wonderful way of expressing relationship with the living God? You have tasted that the Lord is good. Isn't it an amazing thing to be counted part of the family of God? How good is that? I was 20 years old, running in the exact opposite direction from God, no interest in him at all, and in his kindness, he grabbed me gently by the scruff of the neck and hauled me into the kingdom and revealed his kindness and mercy and grace to me. Now that was over 35 years ago now. And I want to say that life has not been completely straightforward over those 35 years. There have been challenges and, and difficulties and heartaches and all sorts of things that have occurred. But can I say the one thing I can tell you today from the heart is that I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He is good. Friends, today we send uh, people to Trinity Grove. And today we recommission those who are staying here at Trinity Northeast. It's the same deal, just different locations. That's the reality. And what we say, whether we stay or whether we go, is the Lord, he is good. He is good. That's the cry, the Christian heart. And our deep desire, uh, I've already met a couple of people who are new here today, and there'll be new people at Trinity Grove, and there'll continue to be new people that come to Trinity Northeast. And you know, our deep prayer, our deep desire, is that any of you who go away from here will leave saying, well, this people... You know, I'm, what I can say to you is that having been there with them, they know that the Lord is good. They have tasted the goodness of the Lord. Isn't that a great thing for people to be able to say about God's people? Well, it might be so uh, for us here and for our brothers and sisters, our dear brothers and sisters, as you start at Trinity Grove. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for this word uh, spoken originally to people who are under the pump. A word that speaks of your unfailing grace and mercy. A word that speaks of your ongoing uh, communication into our lives, not just of information, but of transforming truth about the power of the gospel. Father, we thank you it speaks of the core we have to work out this love in our community, not just when it's easy, but when we're at full stretch, when it's tough, when we feel frayed. Father, we know that's when the profound difference of this gospel, this love, 
works itself out in our life. And Father, we pray that you'll keep doing that in our communities, that as we're stretched, we'll respond in love to your grace and to your mercy. Father, may it always be said of um, Trinity Grove, Trinity Northeast, may it always be said of those of us who count ourselves followers of yours, that we are people who have tasted the goodness, your goodness, and delight in it. Uh, Father, we thank you that we can say this because of your kindness to us in your Son. And we pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.